0: When you look at your relationships, there are many threats to those relationships. And what most of us do is we turn a blind eye to it because we are so busy being reactive and just dealing with the fires in front of us, we don't realize that there are threats on the horizon. Be a threat to your threat. You don't want to be a victim to the threat. Instead, what you want is to be a threat to the threat. You want to be a danger to the danger. For most of us as individuals, it is we think a certain way, therefore we act a certain way, Therefore, we feel a certain way, therefore it creates a certain way of thinking, and and we just spiral down and down and down like that. You need self-awareness. And for the second one, you need situational awareness.
1: You talk a lot about uh, redefining failure. And my question for you is how do we redefine failure? And how do you define failure?
0: Yeah. um, Where do I start unpacking that? So, I guess when you look at failure, it all depends on the time horizon that you use, right? And often what we do is we we look at it from a a very short-term point of view or perspective. And unfortunately, what that means is that if we fail, it feels like, well, now what? You know, I've tried this thing. It didn't work out. Uh, do I just do something completely different or do I keep going? Um, but it it's very easy for us to get to a point of desperation or to a point of frustration when we look at it from that shorter time frame. Whereas <laughs> the moment you start expanding that and you start thinking, okay, well, I'm in this for the long run and really all I'm going to do is try and figure out the next step and, and be open to how the journey evolves then I guess failure becomes a very different or you you start developing a very different relationship with failure and you start seeing failure as just a part of the process. It's not something special or unique. It's just part of the process. And as we go through the process, what we're always looking for is how do we learn from this? And failure, obviously, within it contains many lessons if you're open to it. But I think only once you have that that longer view on it, are you willing to, to learn from it? So I guess that would be the starting point is that failure is always just part of the process. So don't think of it as a, a big final thing that happens to you. I, I was watching the Conor McGregor documentary over the weekend. Have you seen it?
1: Not yet. Not yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do yourself a favor and go watch it. It's brilliant. And in the documentary, he he says the same thing. He's like, I, I mean, he's the greatest UFC fighter of all time. Yeah. And he talks about failure as if it's nothing. He's like, I expect failure. you know. And you almost think that when you get to that point and you are that revered and that successful, that you would hate failure. Like you wouldn't want to see it as part of your repertoire. You don't want to see it, you know, but he's like, this is just part of how we learn. Like I would, I'm expecting failure. And because of that, I, I know that I'll get to success. This is just part of the stepping stone. So that, that, um, Changing of relationship and seeing the longer time horizon, I think that's key for redefining failure.
1: That's very true. Uh, that's a that's very very true. And if you don't mind sharing, have you experienced some epic failures in your life? Uh, were, were yeah, that- lots, <laughs>
0: <laughs> lots. Uh, sure. When I so my journey in a nutshell is in two thousand and seven, I graduated as a physiotherapist. Uh, by, I'd say 2009, I realized I don't want to be a physiotherapist. So I started looking at other things to do. And at that time, online passive income was a very big buzzword. So I was like, okay, cool. How do I create some sort of online presence or website that's going to generate income for me passively? And so I, I started experimenting with all these different ideas and I Probably like registered in that time frame about 50 different domain names from about like 2010 to 2015. And all of them failed. And the reason all of them failed is because I had this idea for what it could be. And then I would start like giving the website and getting everything ready. And then the moment that it was done, I'm like, okay, but there's this new idea. So like let me rather try that. And then this one just gets sheltered and I move on to the new one. My brother and I at some point had a a site that we really thought this was going to be it because back then freelancing wasn't such a big thing yet. It was growing in in popularity, but it wasn't uh, like Upwork and uh, I think Elance back in the day, Fiverr. You know, so the the sort of gig economy it wasn't that big back then. These guys were still getting traction, and I came across them and I thought, oh, this is cool. Like, how about I do something similar but for essay? And it's actually quite funny that we talk about this because this morning I found the video. That we initially released as a trailer for it, and I was like, "Oh, this is so bad!" Like I sent it to my brother, and I was like, "Like, look at where <laughs> where we came from," and that was 11 years ago. Uh, that video, actually, and so, but so we launched that. Went nowhere, right? And, and and the biggest reason why most of my projects went nowhere was because I thought I could do multiple things at the same time. And launching a business is actually quite hard and it requires a lot of effort and attention and uh, intensity. And so most of the things that I tried failed because just of a pure lack of investment of time and effort on my behalf. And then along the way, you know, so like, I mean, I started Better Man back then, Uh, Better Man became quite successful. That led me to coaching, that led me to speaking, that led me to the business I have today. But even in the business I have today, we often launch programs or projects that we think people really need and then it fails it falls flat Um, and this is after many years of doing this and being in the space and thinking that i have a good feel for what people want we still often deliver certain product or products or create them thinking we know what the market wants and then they want something else so yeah failure has been part of my life for a long time
1: that's that's good. Um it's safe to say that you found your sweet spot because
0: what you do. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um and I must be honest, you are probably one of my one of the best thinkers I've ever listened to. I love the way you think, the way Thank you process you. your thoughts and the way that you just um articulate your thoughts as well. I really, truly, truly love it and appreciate it. And Thank um, you. what do you enjoy the most um between speaking? and and coaching
0: so my my coaching practices changed a lot in 2019 or so i was doing a lot of one-on-one coaching with executives and then that switched over to becoming team coaching and today where i'm at i'm actually spending most of my time either uh, speaking on stage keynoting or delivering workshops So I'm doing very little coaching per se. Like if you look at the, you know, um, sitting in a session with someone kind of brainstorming with them, I'm doing very little of that these days. And I think the reason for that is I enjoy group interactions more. And when you get people together in a room, especially like, you know, there's been this big thing about do we get people like remotely in a room together to brainstorm things or do we get them into a room together? But I've just found that when you can get people together in real life in a room and you are actively brainstorming and problem solving and being creative, that's one of the best feelings in the world. So I really thrive off that. And I think that's kind of where I've, I've landed. You know, if you say like your sweet spot, it's, it's always speaking and delivering ideas It's just the format changes slightly from like a 45 minute, very condensed way of of thinking or trying to deliver one idea to a workshop where we get to play around with ideas and get other people's perspectives on it and mold it and shape it. And, And that's a big challenge for, I guess, leaders and teams in general is that there are so many ideas out there in the world, but we need to take those ideas and we need to mold them and shape them and, you know, carve off a little piece here and tweak a little part here so it can fit into the world that we live in and into our context. And that's what the workshops do, is they allow us to to really tinker with the idea until it fits into our reality.
1: That's very good. Um, I think the idea of uncertainty, I think at the moment, there's quite... The, the, the time that we're living in right now is we're living in volatile times and mm. um, the idea of uncertainty, the you know not knowing what's coming, not knowing what changes are, uh, are coming. Like no one expected COVID-19 to happen. Uh, but uh, in, in your book, you talk about this idea of being a threat to your threats. Uh, mm. I just want you to unpack a bit about that, uh, especially when there's a lot of uncertainty and people become complacent. So how do I become uh, a threat to um, my threats?
0: I actually want to mention something from the Conor McGregor documentary again, uh, because it'll segue us nicely into the book. They asked him, you know, why did he get into fighting? And he said that when he was younger, he would get into these, like he grew up in a, a bad neighborhood, I guess. And there were always fights. And he said he would get into these situations and he would feel very uncomfortable in that situation because it's a very uncertain thing, but he also doesn't know what to do in that environment. And then he he decided to start training and he wanted to train so that he can be comfortable in those uncomfortable situations. And I love that because that is exactly what, what we need right now is that the world outside is very uncomfortable because there's a lot of uncertainty. So how do we navigate that? Well, I think we need to be comfortable with who we are, confident in our thoughts, our our skills, our ability to deal with the uncertainty, with the complexity. So that's that's kind of where the, the book came in, is if we are honest about the world we live in, we realize that we live in a world full of threats and that there's this quote that says, um, to exist is to be threatened. And I think that's very true. It sounds like a very pessimistic thing to say, but it's just the reality, you know that when you look at the business that you are in, that business is being threatened in some shape or form, whether that's through competitors, whether that's the market changing, whether that's AI, many things could undo your business. When you look at your relationships, there are many threats to those relationships uh, could be someone that your partner fancies more than you, that they're spending more time with. It could be your inattention to your partner. Plethora of things that could be threatening to your relationship that could result in your relationship becoming undone. Uh, There are threats to your health. There are threats to your finances. There are threats to your team members. All of these threats exist. And what most of us do is we turn a blind eye to it because we are so busy being reactive and just dealing with the fires in front of us. We don't realize that there are threats on the horizon. And so because of that, we end up in very challenging and difficult situations. Why? Because we didn't do the things that will prepare us to take on the threats. We didn't construct ourselves in a way that we can overcome those threats in how we think and feel and act. Because those are the three human capacities, right? Think, feel, and act. Everything you do is a pattern of how you think, feel, and act. And so sometimes this pattern will be ineffective against the threat. And when it's ineffective against that threat, what happens? You are harmless. You don't have what it takes to overcome the threat. And when that happens, you end up in survival mode. Survival mode is this, uh, we can maybe talk about survival mode in just a moment, but you end up in survival mode. The alternative is that you don't wanna be harmless. You don't want to be a victim to the threat. Instead, what you want is to be a threat to the threat. You wanna be a danger to the danger. And so in that way, you want to be a little bit dangerous. And when we talk about being dangerous, you know, it sounds like this very provocative word. And I guess in in some ways it is, but we've actually used this language for a very long time in sports. You know, we have the all blacks that run into the field, we go, they're dangerous, not because they are going to pull out a span out of their socks, but because they have a certain level of skill and ability and experience that makes them very formidable in that domain or territory. Uh, there was this uh, great TV show. I don't know if you watched it, The Queen's Gambit. And in The Queen's Gambit, it's about this young lady that's playing her way through the chess world. She's this prodigy. And she's about to take on one of the grandmasters. And he's been playing chess since before she was born. And it's a great scene because they're sitting in this massive auditorium. Uh, A few people are sitting on the side observing the games she's already sitting down and he comes walking out from the far end, walking out towards her, but like in a very slow pace, it just shows his gravitas and his experience. And as he walks up, the commentators say, she has to be very careful of him because once he gets into an attacking position, he's very dangerous. Again, no one's thinking that he's going to reach across the board and, and hurt her in any way. We understand that this means that He has a level of skill and experience and an understanding of the game that makes him very formidable. And that's really when I say, I want people to be dangerous. That's what I mean, is I want you to look at those threats that exist in your life because they do. And I want you to be able to take them on and succeed and not take them on and fail. Um, So in a nutshell, that's kind of where where the idea came from. That's how it relates for me to uncertainty because uncertainty is a big threat. But the way that you deal with that threat is that you construct yourself in such a manner that no matter what comes across your path, you can take it on and you can be successful.
1: Wow, that's amazing, man. That's really amazing. Uh, you said you're going to unpack survival mode in just a bit. Can you please just yeah. take
0: for me? So survival mode is, I think, something we've all experienced maybe over the past three years at some point. The book was actually supposed to come out pre-COVID, but then the pandemic hit, attention shifted. And in some ways, it was actually good that that happened for me because it allowed me to observe survival mode in a more nuanced way. And I got to experience it myself a few times where I was like, okay, you are like deep in survival mode right now. But I also got to see the patterns of the people around me and what it looked like when they went into survival mode. So a challenging thing about survival mode is often you can't see when you're in it. You know, We are supposed to be very highly self-aware creatures, but we're actually not. Research has shown that only about 15% of us have a high level of self-awareness. And so very often we'll get into survival mode and we don't recognize it. But I want to share with you the three things that I've noticed that's quite common in most individuals when they go into survival mode, because if you can see these these patterns, if you can see the characteristics, then you might go, okay, actually, now that you mention it, I can see it in my life. So the three things that happen in survival mode, the first is that you become very reactive to your environment. And this means you just go through your day putting out fires. You're just trying to get to the end of the day. You don't care about tomorrow. You don't care about change. You don't care about learning. All you are trying to do is just get through the day and, and deal with the challenges and the problems that are in front of you. The second thing that happens in survival mode is you start operating from a place of fear, frustration, and anxiety. When these emotions pick up, there are two distortions, cognitive distortions that occur. The first is the distortion of probability, and the second is the distortion of severity distortion of probability says things are likely to go wrong. And the distortion of severity says that when things go wrong, it's going to be catastrophic. And so you can imagine what happens is that during the day, you are reactive, you're busy, right? Your hands are going, going, going. You are dealing with the things that are in front of you. At nighttime, finally, your hands go idle, but your mind fires up. And you start thinking about these challenges you have, and you think where things might go wrong. And because of the distortion of probability, you think well. Most likely these things will go wrong. And because of the severity distortion, you think, well, when they go wrong, it's going to be catastrophic. I can't see my way out of it. And what does this do? It creates more fear, more frustration, more anxiety. What does this lead to? It means next morning you wake up, you get straight back into being reactive. You just go, 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 go. And so like the third thing that then happens is that the things we do in survival mode keep us in survival mode. There was a a show on TV not too long ago called Indie Soap which translates to in the soup, which doesn't really make sense. But it's a saying that someone is in the soup, they are in trouble. So this show was Baptist Bosson, who's a very well-known chef, uh, going around to different restaurants that are in survival mode and trying to get them to escape that or to start taking steps out of it. And I I love the show because it it demonstrated this pattern of being in survival mode so clearly to me. So something happens to a restaurant. In this instance, COVID. COVID happens. Less people into the restaurant means less cash coming back into the business. Less cash into the business means we think maybe we should cut down on our marketing spend. Maybe we should run less ads or, or put up less posters, whatever it may be. Less people see about or see advertising about the business, less people come into the business, less cash into the business. Less cash into the business means we think maybe we need to let go of some of our staff. We let go of our staff, people come in, they have a bad experience, they don't come back, they tell their friends, don't go back. Less cash into the business means uh, we start thinking about well, maybe we need to switch pro- like our, our suppliers, get a different grade of meat or, or produce. So the quality goes down, the quality goes down. People come to the restaurant, they don't enjoy it. They don't come back. They tell their friends, don't come back. Uh, less feet into the business means less cash coming to the business, less cash into the business. You, you, get, to, you get the idea, right? This pattern just perpetuates itself and the things we do in survival mode keep us in survival mode. And what I've really come to appreciate is that when you are deep into survival mode, not only do you not see it, but it is very difficult to escape. And the only way you get to escape it is that you have to see the pattern. You have to see that pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting. So for the restaurant, it is less cash, we do something, because of that, less people, because of that, less cash, because of so, and it just spirals down like that. For for most of us as individuals, it is we think a certain way, therefore we act a certain way, therefore we feel a certain way, therefore it creates a certain way of thinking, and and we just spiral down and down and down like that. So that's what survival mode is about. It's those three characteristics that we often see in people. Um, and it's a it's a very tough thing to deal with. And it's also worth understanding that you might feel like you are in survival mode on the Monday and you could be out of it on the Tuesday. You could feel like it in the morning, but be out of it in the afternoon. So it's very much a state of mind that we get to occupy. Um, it could also be a very physical thing, but I think for many of us, it's more Uh, an attitude or a a mindset that we're sitting with.
1: This is so helpful for me because um, I feel like I am in survival mode right now. So this is very, very helpful. And I think the challenge for leadership is managing the tension between using the water that you have to put out fires for today and watering seeds for tomorrow. I think it's just a tension that most um, organizations have. But as you're talking about survival mode, how then would you explain um, companies like big companies like Smith Corona, where they're so big, they feel like they are, I mean, it was at one point the world's number one, the world's best typewriting company, um and they don't feel the need to innovate or to, or they don't feel like they're in survival mode, and they don't feel like there's, there's no threats to the existence. How then do you manage that tension for, for those companies that are saying, okay, we are big enough to crush everybody else. There's no threats to us. Um, yeah.
0: Mm. It comes down to the self-awareness for the leadership. We, we tend to think of it as this you know, it's this big organization, but ultimately it's driven by a few people sitting around a table, making certain decisions. And so the the question for me really is, how do we help those individuals to improve their self-awareness? And really it's, it's more than that. It's two things. Well, two years ago, I wrote a manual called the art of recalibration and recalibration is essentially the process we go through where we course correct, where we realize that we have a certain goal that we want to get to, but at times we drift. And so, well, I'm going to back up again one more time. There's this rule called the one in 60 degree rule, and it is from aviation. And essentially what it says is that if a plane takes off from an airport and it has a certain destination, if that plane veers just one degree off course, then by the time it's traveled 60 miles, it's going to be an entire mile away from where it's supposed to be. And so you can imagine that over a long flight of thousands of, uh, miles, you know, by the time you try to get to your destination, you can be way off course, you can be very far away from where you actually want it to be. And that's just with a one degree deviation that occurs. And then we realize that in our own lives that happens all the time, we have a certain goal destination we want to get to, but then there are certain crosswinds that push us, off course. And sometimes what these crosswinds are, are our own internal things that happen. So we get distracted. We have shiny object syndrome. We get lazy. We feel overwhelmed. There's just too much change happening. And so because of that, we take our eyes off the prize for a bit and we just start drifting slowly but surely. And that drift often is into survival mode. But again, we don't even realize it because that's the thing. It's like, it's a one degree shift. So you don't even realize that you actually, of course, but, but it happens. And then the further we go, the further we go. The, that's the one one thing that happens. The second thing that happens or well, that could push us, of course, is that the environment changes is that the goal that you are heading towards, like that's actually changed. Like it, it's not the same anymore. The the um, the environment you're operating in has changed completely. And so that also pushes you of course. And so for the first one, you need self-awareness. And for the second one, you need situational awareness. And so for those leaders around that table, that's what we need to be sitting with is constantly creating the opportunity for them to have more self-awareness, to have more situational awareness so we can realize where we have drifted so that we can recalibrate. There are three steps. One is, what is the goal? Two is, where have I drifted? Three is, what do we do to recalibrate? So those are the conversations to have. And I think often in those boardrooms, you are living in a bit of a bubble. And that's why it's so important to have uh, moments, I think, where you are, Pushed, challenged, catalyzed into creating higher levels of, of awareness, both situational and self. I think that would be my answer to that.
1: That's 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 very powerful, man. That's very very powerful. In in your manual, the art of recalibration, you talk about. I think the first calibration that you talking of, you talk about is extracting and exploring. Mm. And then picking a bit about that. You're probably wondering how yeah. I do but... <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask. Did you read all the manuals? Or did you? Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah. So the the extract explore mental model is one that I've actually really come to to love and speak about quite often. And all it really says is we go through times in our lives where we want to explore new terrain, and then once we've explored new terrain, what we need to do, and we find something that works, is we need to extract uh, what is working. And so it really just talks about these two different modes of engagement or operating in the world. And too often we get stuck in one way. And that's actually, I think what I was trying to show in the manual is that it's a dance between these two modes and that you need to know that you need to oscillate between them and not get stuck in one. So if you get stuck in explore it means you are always trying new things you are always looking for the latest trends and the latest gadgets that are coming out and the latest opportunities uh, that are available in the world and it's great to be doing that but it's it's horrible to be doing that if your current business is suffering you know so i work with many organizations uh, ai is the perfect example of this is that you don't want to take your eye off the ball which is your current business and what is working just to focus on ai you know and so often that's what happens is we deploy resources and money and, and time and effort towards the new thing at the detriment of what is currently working. And I've seen that in my own business so many times when talk about failure, is that because I, I have this in spades, is I want to explore new things because it's new and it's interesting and it's fun, you know. So I'll often do that where I'll I'll launch something new and I, I love that process. And then instead of extracting what's working and and like digging deeper into that, I'll go and look for the next thing to launch and the next thing and the next thing. A good example of this actually is I launched a think week in in 2020 when when the pandemic hit. And think week was this week of taking organizations through different ways of thinking and different mental models. But anyway, we did 800 people through that program in year one. And then I canned it because I wanted to do new things. So we want to... We want to explore and we want to see what's out there, but we don't want to be only doing that. The other thing we want to be doing then is to extract. Is once you find something like Think Week that works, if you want to double down on that, you want to extract as much value as possible from it. But again, you don't want to get stuck in that because if you get stuck in that, like that typewriter company you were mentioning, it means that you are spending all your time just doing what's working right now. And what's working right now won't work tomorrow or the day after that. So you need to also, while you're busy, head down, you need to make time to lift up and just look around and just scan the environment and see what is available. So the Explore-Extract mental model is just a, a nice way of thinking about which mode are you currently in? Um, and are you shifting and oscillating between these two well enough? And there are, I think, many ways to like um, to think about this from a team point of view is you know some of your team members could be in extract while others are in explore Um, you could have days where you think about extraction and days where you think about exploration so there are different ways of doing it but it's a very useful mental model to use uh, in navigating the world
1: that sounds very good Uh, i have a question Uh, i hope hopefully i will be able to articulate it properly i think that uh, my question is when you look at the european market or the american market it's completely different to the south african or the african market uh in the sense that we are experiencing different problems than they are uh i mean load shedding is is a big issue right now in south africa so my question is when when you look at the business market or the the, the south african market um how would you say how would you advise businesses that are here in terms of managing the tension between okay, we want to innovate and move at the pace that the Americans or the Europeans are moving at or the world is moving at. Um, and also managing the fact that we have massive problems, uh, basic problems that they wouldn't have in, in, in Europe. I don't know if the question makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I, it does make sense. I think what you're saying is that we have more threats to our businesses. Than what they might have in Europe or America. Uh, more challenges to our business. And yes, that might be true. We are dealing with, with more. Uh, let's let's stick to threats for now. We, we are dealing with more threats. I, I don't think it really changes anything. You know, the formula stays the same, is that you have to be a threat to the threat, whatever that might be. And so it just means that. You know, if you're a business by now, the way that you've probably become a threat to the threat is that you've managed to get an inverter or a generator, uh, or maybe you've you've designed your schedule in such a way that when you have load shedding, you are going to a coffee shop to go and work where they do have internet and and a connection. So I, I don't think the formula changes. It might just require more effort to be a threat to the threat and to be dealing with threats on multiple fronts. But we still have to do it, you know, because what is the alternative? Is that you are harmless, that you're a victim, and that you end up in survival mode. There is no alternative to this. And that's why, you know, there's been times where I've thought about the threats part, right? Because I focus on that a lot. And people will say to me, oh, I don't see it like that. I just see the opportunity. And I'm like, yes, I I agree with you. I want to have that optimistic way of saying, yeah, like I don't see threats. I just see opportunities, but that's not reality. Reality is that opportunities and threats go hand in hand and we can't have the one without the other. And when you look at it that way, you also realize that when I go through my threat, I get to the opportunity on the other side. And so my threat presents opportunity for me in in a few different ways. One is that I get to the pot of gold. I get to the reward, the the treasure on the other side. If I can deal with the threats in in building a business, then I get to build a business that gives me money, that gives me a livelihood, um, that gives me the freedom perhaps that I want, whatever that might be for you. The other thing is that when you deal with a threat, what it also does is it brings out the best in you because if you don't change and upskill and change how you think, feel and act, then you're not going to overcome the threat. That's ultimately the biggest thing between you and success is the way that you've configured yourself. And so when you go through that process of changing those three parameters, you become the better version of yourself. And so therefore, what you also get in the process is actually a bit of self-affirmation. That's what I'm looking for, though. Self-actualization, that's what I'm looking for is that you actually become more than what you were before. And so what you get out of dealing with that threat is that now you've been on the fastest route to self-development at what you've than what you've ever experienced in your life. And you get through that threat and you start realizing that if I can deal with this threat, I can deal with any threat. And that perhaps becomes the biggest reward that we get from dealing with threats that we realize I can deal with any threat. And so that might be my call to action to, to businesses and, and leaders and essay is that, yes, you are dealing with more threats, but guess what? It's just developing you into one hell of a human being.
1: So say I am dealing with more threats and I've managed to handle those threats and I've become a threat to my threats. Uh, but however, in the, in the time that we're living in, you know, rules can change. Like when you look at COVID, uh, COVID-19, all of a sudden, there's a lockdown. You're not allowed to, to go out. Um, people have to wear masks. People are working from home. The rules have changed and you're now playing on, on, on a different game or maybe the same game with different rules. Does that change your approach? Or does that um, uh, only mean that um, you you maintain the same approach uh, using different rules? Um, strategies or whatever you want to put it or however you want to put it
0: i guess the the uh cognitive approach the thinking about it stays the same in that i want to be a threat to the threat what that looks like that changes how how you might need to reconfigure yourself that changes have you heard of anti-fragility
1: in, in your um,
0: manual, yes. In the manual, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so Nassim, Taleb, <laughs> Nassim Taleb wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And anti-fragile to him is when we go beyond mere resilience. So essentially what he says in the book is, well, I'll, I'll use this example. I, I come to your house. I have a package in my hand. And I drop this package on the floor. And we, on the package, it had that sticker that says fragile, that red sticker. What do we expect is going to happen? Well, we expect to hear a big crashing sound, things breaking inside. And when we open it up, everything is in pieces. That's our understanding of fragile. Then he asks, well, what is the opposite of fragile? And people go, well, it's resilient. So we run through that same thought experiment. I get to your house. I have a package in my hand. On it, there's a sticker. It says resilient. We drop that. What do we expect is going to happen with the contents of the package? Well, we think we're going to open it up and it's going to look exactly the same because it's resilient. So even if it deformed slightly, it would have bounced back to its original shape. So Nassim Taleb then says, well, actually, that isn't the opposite of fragility then if you think about it, because the fragile thing completely shattered it. It changed its nature, whereas the resilient thing was just exactly the same as before. So he then coined the term anti-fragile. And anti-fragile is, I show up at your house, I have this package in my hand. On On top of it, there's a, a sticker that says anti-fragile. What that would actually mean to me and you is that we can throw this thing onto the floor, we can jump on it, we can kick it. Because when we do that, its nature changes, it becomes stronger and better for it. So he gives lots of examples in the in his book, he talks about muscle being anti-fragile, that when you stress a muscle and you actually tear that muscle, it becomes stronger. It doesn't become weaker. It doesn't stay the same. It becomes stronger because of the stress applied to it. He talks about entrepreneurial ecosystems where uh, the ecosystem by nature is quite fragile because if you start a business, there's still a high likelihood that you might fail. But as an ecosystem or individual businesses are fragile. But as an ecosystem, it's very anti-fragile because we learn from each other. And so the system just becomes stronger and better and faster over time. So anti-fragility then is, how do we construct our lives and our businesses in such a manner that even when things start falling apart around us, uh, we will always be in a position to thrive. We will always be in a position to be successful. And so that requires you to think ahead a little bit and to think what are the threats that might come. So maybe in some ways, the way we've been speaking about it is that I want to deal with the threat in front of me. So that means I need to assess this threat and I need to do something about it right now. But then there are also the threats that you might see coming on the horizon. And these are things, you know, sometimes we can't see them because the world is very uncertain. Maybe some of us didn't foresee like a war breaking out. We definitely didn't foresee COVID breaking out. So Things like that, we can't, you know, we have to deal with it as it comes. But the other things that you might be able to anticipate based on what is happening, based on what's happening in the market or based on what's happening with the people around you, uh, based on your past experiences. And so what you want to do in those situations is to ask yourself, well, what can I do now that's going to set me up for success in the future to make sure that when, if this challenge does arrive, I'm, I'm sorted, right? And so like the simplest example of this might be, that as an individual, every month you go, okay, I'm putting 20% of my salary or 10% of my salary away for uh, like an emergency fund. Why? Because you know, at some point, something's going to go wrong and you don't want to be undone by that. You know, there's going to be a threat to your finances, maybe to your physical health at some point. And you're going to get to that point and you're going to go, okay, well, what now? Like, I don't have money to pay for this. Or you're going to go, oh, I saw this coming. I prepared for it and I'm ready for it. So I think having this anti-fragility as a, as a mindset is extremely useful because it it helps us to think about setting ourselves up for the threats, but doing that today already. Yeah, and there's a, I would just recommend people go read the book because there's so many lessons to take from it and so many things to unpack about it. But it pairs very nicely with the idea of, of being dangerous and being a threat to the threat.
1: Oh, that sounds amazing. Please remind me again the name of the book.
0: It's just called Anti-Fragile.
1: Anti-Fragile, okay. Amazing. Um, Eric, thank you very mm. much. Really, really... Yeah, Tyrone, Amazing. Uh, thank you for the invite. Th- thank you for, for your time. Thank you for your wisdom, your knowledge. You are an amazing thinker, as I mentioned before. And I totally, totally, totally appreciate you because you are a legend. Um, it's your pleasure, brother. Thank any you. Any last words, parting words?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... Be a threat to your threat. That is the the biggest call to action I can give anyone. It is the most direct route to becoming the better version of who you are. It is uh, the best way to go about dealing with the uncertainty in the world around us. And when we do that, if I I start back at where we began, we become more comfortable with what's uncomfortable uh, on the outside. And I think that's the best place to be is that you just have this belief in yourself that no matter what happens in the world around me, I can deal with it because I'm adaptable enough. I can change my thinking. I can change the way that I do things. I can see the world has shifted and so I can recalibrate. And so because of all of that, I know I can constantly be a threat to the threat. And because of that, I get the opportunities. And because of that, I get to build the life and the business that I want. Uh, So that'll be my final words. Thank you for having me. It was great chatting to you and connecting to you. Uh, So thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.